Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, team. Well, good morning, church. How are you? Man, great to see everybody here today. Hey, we are going to continue our worship through giving. And so if you guys will look to the left, you'll find some offering baskets uh, on the left side of the road. And you can pass those around to the front. Thanks, William. Uh, This is our opportunity to give back to the Lord our tithes and offerings in response to all that he has done for us. Uh, And hey, as you are doing that, I want to let you know about something that's going to be happening in September uh, that's going to be tied to our giving. I have always been so honored to be a part of such a generous congregation. Uh, Throughout the existence of this church, there's just been an unparalleled level of generosity uh, to where we've always had everything that we have really needed and more. But that's never anything we want to really keep here. We want to make sure we are being a blessing to those around us. And this next month, we're going to get an opportunity to do that through something that we call Give United. Uh, Now, if you've been here a while, you might remember this. Uh, But years ago, here's what we found. Uh, We always give 10% of our budget away. That's just kind of built into our budget every single year. Whatever our budget is, 10% of that's going to go out the door uh, to missions. That's local, national, and international. And we've got lots of different partners that we work with year round and every year. Uh, But over the years, we've been praying a prayer to say, God, show us what you're doing in Birmingham and show us how we can be a part of that. And there is a ton of really great ministry that's happening all over the city and really ministries that have cropped up in the last few years. So we came up with a way where hopefully we can say, hey, we want to really partner with some of these new organizations uh, so we can learn about them, but also hopefully that we can help them in what they're doing. Uh, And that's where Give United was born. So here's how it works. In the month of September, uh, we're just going to challenge everybody to give faithfully. We tithe here as a church. We ask all of our members to do that. That's kind of like the floor of our giving. And we want everybody to be faithful in that. Many of us do that. Some of us are still wrestling with that. But we say just everybody give faithfully. And once we reach our monthly need, our monthly budget in the month of September, everything we bring in over on top of that, we're just going to pour out onto all these different organizations. Uh, right now, we're taking applications, and so people can say, hey, I'm an organization, and here's some of the things that I'm doing. You might know of an organization that might need some extra funds. You can get them to apply. Uh, but listen, as soon as we meet our budgetary need, everything on top of that, we're going to pour out on our community. In 2016, when we did this for the first time, uh, we raised right at $70,000 over our budget in one month. In one month. Two years later, we raised $160,000 over our budget in one month. And so here's kind of the point. Not only do we get to help other people, I want to show you what happens when we're all faithful. When we're all faithful in our giving, not only do we have all we need and more, we get to be graciously, overwhelmingly, stupefyingly generous to the community around us. We get to be oh, oh, just over the top generous to people all over the city that we might see God's kingdom come. And so we're going to be doing this in the month of September. So our challenge is, hey, if you know organizations, get them to go ahead and sign up, but let's all be faithful in our giving. If that's new for you, try it. I dare you. And just to see what God will do in your life, you're going to, it's going to be amazing. But listen, I dare you try it for one month. And then we're going to watch the Lord do some incredible things on top of what we're already doing in our missions. And man, I can't wait to see it. So get prepared for that all through the month of September. But now grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. This is where we were last week. We'll be here next week as well. We are going back to our core values. 
As we kind of come back from the summer and as a lot of people are joining the church, we're kind of getting reconnected as a group of people. We thought it would be important for us to say, hey, what makes us who we are? Uh, what, are, what are the core values that really drive us as the people here at Double Oak Community Church? And we have three core values we want you to know. They are maturity, community, and charity. We put them outside on the walls for a reason. We want people to know these things. Maturity, community, and charity. Last week, we started with maturity. We want to be Christ-centered in all that we do. That we want to be growing up in him. And we actually see that in the text. You see all three of these values. But let's read them again. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. right, so let's pause right there. This is what we read last week, and you can see that desire on the part of our creator. He says, I want you to grow up. I want you to mature. We are not to be infants in Christ. We are to grow up in our faith. We are to be Christ-centered in all that we do. But before we move into our second value of community, I want you to think about that for just a second. I want you to think about your personal spiritual maturity and ask yourself this question, how did you get that way? Like think through your story for just a second. How did you come to know the Lord? And then how have you grown in the Lord? How did that occur? And like, think back through your story. Some of you might've gotten saved very young, early in life. Some of you might've gotten saved very recently, but if you're a believer... How have you grown in spiritual maturity? Because for me, I can't tell that story without telling the, talking about the church that I grew up in. I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, south of here, at Eastern Hills Baptist Church. That's where I went my entire life. My parents are still there. They've been in the same Sunday school class for 40 years. They're there this morning, right? But I remember growing up in this church, and this is where I learned about Jesus Christ. And I remember the people just hundreds of people who poured into me. I remember Miss Blake, who when I was like in first grade, I remember going to her class as a young kid in church. I remember exactly in the building where I went to Miss Blake's class. I remember growing up as an older kid. I remember Don Walker being one of those guys. He was super funny. And I remember just wanting to go to his class and enjoying it as they told me the stories of the faith and helped me to grow up. I remember being an RAs and all the guys who would, who would help me to, to grow and to learn about Jesus. I remember Dewey Quarter, man, my, my, really my first pastor who baptized me. I remember so many of the people in my early church who helped me to grow in faith. I remember a young life leader who gave me my very first C.S. Lewis book and opened up just a brand new world for me. I didn't know it was really going to help shape me spiritually. I think about all the Christian friends I had in that church, all the students that I was going to church with in my youth group, people I still call friends to this day. And those people helped me to grow in faith, young men and women who encouraged me in my faith, and I encouraged them in their faith. I am who I am because of who they are in my life, and on and on to to more friends in college and beyond. Then there were the mentors, none of them perfect, but all of whom played important roles in helping me to grow and shaping me in my faith. 
listen, I, I can't say who I am as a believer without talking about all the men and women, brothers and sisters, who poured into me, not only so that I could come to faith in Jesus Christ, but grow in my faith in Jesus Christ. And I'd be willing to bet that that's true for you too. Because nobody gets here by themselves. God sends people to help us, and quite frankly, we need them. You see, our second core value is community, Christ-connected community. He doesn't simply want us to grow up as individuals. He says, no, there's a context in which that occurs, and that context is community. I am giving you a church, a body of believers for you to grow up in, so you can be poured into. You have opportunities to serve. You have people who love you. This is the context in which spiritual maturity can occur. And you can actually see this in multiple places already in the text. Look at verse 12, where it says this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He's going to explore this metaphor in depth, not just here, but in other letters as well. But he says, listen, Christ is the head and we are his body. We are quite literally just all these different body parts that he has connected together into a unified whole. Uh, Look at verse 13 and notice what it says. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It's interesting. Before he even mentions maturity, he talks about community. Before he talks about maturity, he talks about community. He says, you need the unity of the faith. This is one of the major themes of the entire letter to the Ephesians. He says, you need to be unified as a body of believers. You are not meant to be just a crowd of individuals. You are to be unified together. Look at the next phrase. It says, to mature manhood. We talked about this last week. The literal Greek here says, to a mature man. But it's singular. The picture is of a full-grown man. All right, but because it's singular, here's what he's saying. He's not saying we are all to grow up in maturity. He says, no, we're all to grow together in maturity. The church is pictured as a fully formed person, but it's singular. We are to do this together. And you can see it even more as we go forward. Let's keep reading in verse 15. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So again, you see him exploring this body metaphor. He says, listen, we are all different body parts, but when we are working together, when we are linked together in the proper configuration, it makes the entire body grow up in love. And so this is God's desire for us. It is also his design for us. It is how he has built us. He says, I want you to live in true community. Now, let's talk about this for just a second because I'm using some terms interchangeably. We're talking about church and we're talking about community and we're talking about those things interchangeably. Uh, Why is that? Well, we need to understand what a church actually is. We've talked about this many times before, but it bears repeating. When we think about church, we are not simply talking about this thing that is happening right now on Sunday mornings. We talk about going to church, right? And we typically think about this, right? This hour, but that's not what we're doing. What we are doing right now is worship. We are worshiping together. That is the action that we are doing, but this action is not church. It is also not this place that we are meeting in. You might say, well, I'm going to the church. We call it the church building. We get the name out on the front. And yes, that's kind of what we're going to keep calling it. But when we say church, we don't really mean this building. This is just 
a building, right? It's just four walls and a roof. And we come and we worship here, but this building isn't the church. Well, then what is it? It's us. We are the church. If you want to get a good picture of the church, look around. Look left. Look right. Well, if you look left, everybody's looking left. But like, look around, everybody, right? You know, just look. It's weird when people do that. It's like it's the back of my head. All right, so, I mean, look, w- w- these people in the room right now, that's the church. The people who are here first service, that's the church. The ones who are meeting on second floor, our kids, that's the church. All of us together, this particular configuration, this is our church. This is our community. When God's talking about his people, he's talking about the the living connections, the spirit-connected, Christ-connected people that make up his church. We, together, this living organism of relationships, that is our community. That is our church. And what the Lord is trying to tell us through this passage is this, that community is essential for us. This community is essential. We need it. Now, that's an important thing to say because, look, there's a difference between saying I enjoy church or I like church or that church is helpful and that it is essential for me. But what he's saying is, is that, no, this is how I've built you. This is how I've made you community. Christ-connected community is actually essential for all of us. So question one for the morning, do you believe that? Don't say it out loud. You'll just say yes. But I'm mean, like, think about it, right? Like, think about it. Do you actually believe that the community of faith is essential for your life? Because most all of us in this room like church. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here, right? You'd be doing something else on a Sunday. So we like it. And we say, Adam, it's helpful to me. But that's very different to say, no, no, no. It's not just helpful. It's not something I just like. I need these people. I need the community of faith. That's a very different thing. And you say, well, well Adam, how do you know that? How, do we, how can, we, can we say for sure that this community, that these relationships, whether they're very real believers, is essential for my life? Well, kick back up just a few verses in chapter 4. We're staying in Ephesians chapter 4, but let's go to verse 1, right? You're in verse 11. That's where we started. Let's go back up to verse 1. I'll put this up on the screen, too. Listen to what Paul says. This is how he's setting up what we just looked at in verse 11. Here's what Paul says. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Pause. Okay, so far, most of us are good. We're like, yeah, I get it. I'm supposed to be good. I'm supposed to walk in Christ. I'm supposed to grow. I got it. But look how he continues. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So you see him already talking about unity. He's setting up what he's going to say in verse 11. But there's, there's two things here that help us understand that this community is essential. The first is this. It reflects God himself. It reflects God himself. Let me show you something that, that you might have missed. It's actually easy to miss in this passage. But look at verse 4 and notice what it says here. It says there is one body and one spirit. Got that? Capital S. Go to verse 6. Verse 6 says, one God and Father of all. 
right? So there's father. Then go to verse seven. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So in verse four, you got spirit. In verse six, you got father. And in verse seven, you got son. Father, son, and spirit, you got the Trinity. But the one word that kept getting repeated in this passage over and over and over again, what was it? One. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. This God that we believe in, that we worship, is three in one. He is one unified Lord, but he is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God. He is one God in three persons. Is that a mystery? Of course it is. But what does that tell us? It tells us that within the Godhead, there is a community of love within himself. This community that he's talking about is not something he wants us to have. It's something that he has in himself. Between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, there are bonds of love between the Father and the Son and the Son and the Spirit and the Spirit and the Father. Between all the members of the Trinity, they are in some ways distinct and then they are also unified as one. They don't just keep putting on different hats and calling them himself different names. It's said, no, three persons, one God. There is a community within God himself, which is why it's essential for us too. He is building us to reflect himself. He is drawing us into that very communal life. And so he says, just like there is a community within God himself, I want you to live in community with one another. You see, this is why the radical individualism of our culture is so toxic to true spirituality. We live in a culture that says, no, 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 just just be, be isolated, be yourself, do whatever you want, man. Make up your own truth, you do you, have your own little thing, be an island unto yourself. Don't let anybody, any, any sort of constraints on you or commitments on you, man. You just, you just break through all those barriers. You do only what you want to do as if you're unto yourself. That will destroy you. Why? Because God has designed us spiritually to need one another. He has designed us to need spiritual community. It is hardwired into our souls. You see, why? Because it's a reflection of God himself. Here's the second thing. You can't live as a body part. You can't live as a body part. Look back at verse 16 and notice what he says here. It says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each Heart is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He talks about the church as a unified body, but he talks about us individually as body parts. So here's what we learn. You and I are not spiritually self-sufficient. We're not. You are not spiritually self-sufficient. You and I are simply body parts. That is how God has designed us. And when you put all the body parts together, that is awesome. But when you find a body part by itself, that is gross. It's terrifying. You do not want that, right? Look, you you want them all working together as a unified whole, but they are not designed. They are not meant to work independently. And please hear me when I tell you this. You are not the exception. You're not. I know you're awesome. I know you're incredible. I know you're just amazing. You are not the exception. You and I are not built to work as spiritual individuals. We're meant to work connected in a communal whole. Because that's how body parts work. 
Think about it. The most intelligent brain that you could find, the most intelligent brain that has ever existed, it does not matter how intelligent that brain is if it does not have a body through which to live out its commands. doesn't matter. The strongest muscles you could possibly build that can lift more than anybody else do not matter if they do not have a skeleton upon which to build. They're the strongest muscles, but without all the other body parts, they are meaningless. The most beautiful appearance on the outside does not matter without all of the unseen organs on the inside. You don't have those. You don't have a beautiful appearance. It does not matter how great you are. If you are not connected to the other body parts that you are made for, you find yourself ultimately in despair. God has hardwired us to not to be spiritual self-sufficient. Instead, we are meant to be connected to one another. This is why we say community is essential. Your relationships to other spiritual believers are essential, not simply helpful or beneficial. They are necessary for our spiritual development. We actually need one another. And so if you say, okay, Adam, but what are we even talking about? What does that look like? You're talking about body parts and being connected. Like, what what does this look like in reality? Break this down. Okay, if we leave the body metaphor and we talk about what does this look like with real people in the real world? Look, we can talk for hours about that. Let me give you three marks of this kind of community. Three marks of the kind of community that God is building. These are not the only marks, but but three of these marks, they are these. It is commitment, consistency, and the presence of God. Commitment, consistency, and the presence of God. All right, first off, commitment. We are committed to one another. We're in, we're devoted. We are are in this thing. I give to the other people here. They give to me. But this is not just a, a sporadic thing. We don't give just a little bit. We are completely and totally invested. Why? Because the Lord is the core of who I am. And this is my people. The spiritual body he's made me a part of. So there is a commitment. Secondly, there is consistency. I don't just think about this every now and then. I don't live in my my church relationships just a, a little bit or sporadically. But no, no, I'm consistent in them. Right Over time, they grow in depth and maturity. This is how I grew up in the faith and through all of these different relationships. Consistency helps actually bring out all the benefits that God wants for us. And then thirdly, and probably most importantly, the presence of God. This is what makes us different from any other grouping of people is that we see the presence of God in our midst. We we call it Christ-connected community. Because the Holy Spirit that is in you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is the same Holy Spirit in me. You don't have a part of the Holy Spirit, and I get a part of the Holy Spirit. No, it's the same Spirit. The same Spirit is in me. is a Spirit that's in you, and it's in the Spirit of your brothers and sisters in the room. In us, we are connected by the Holy Spirit of Christ together. And when that God's presence is among us, he begins to do the supernatural. He heals us. He helps us. He grows us. He challenges us. He equips us. He brings the people in that we need. He he gives us vision. It is the Lord who leads and guides us. The presence of God is the most important thing. Uh, Let me show you this in a real world context in Acts chapter 2. When the spirit moves and Pentecost happens and the early church is born, you can actually see all three of these marks, this commitment, consistency, and the presence of God. See if you can see it here. Acts 2.42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, did you see it? Did you see those three marks? First off, there's commitment. Did you see that? Go to the first, uh, first slide there. They were devoted. They devoted themselves to this. This wasn't just like an interest. I'm interested. No, no, no. They're in. They were devoted. They said, I, I am doing this. I am willing to sacrifice. So much so that they're selling their stuff to take care of other people. They're saying, hey, anything I got, you, you can borrow. All right? It just, it's fine. And wait a minute. You got needs? Okay, I'm going to sell my stuff then to help you with that need because we're family now. And so I'm going to help take care of you. We are going to do this as a community together. Okay, that's hardcore. That's devotion. That's commitment. You see them saying, hey, we were in. That led to consistency. Go to the second slide. It says this twice here, verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together. And then look at verse 47 at the end. Day by day, those who were being saved were added to their number. It says it twice, day by day. This is something they did daily. Daily, they're meeting together for worship. They're talking about this daily. They're meeting with one another in their homes and, and breaking bread and sharing their meals and sharing their lives and getting to know one another. Day by day, they're listening to the apostles' teaching so that they might grow in their faith. This is not a sporadic thing. It's not an every now and then thing. It is a consistent thing in their life. This is how they were growing. And then most importantly, we see the presence of God. Awe comes upon every soul because it's not just the apostles who are doing this thing. Man, the Lord is moving through all of them, spurring them on and all of these things. People are being saved. That last line said, the Lord made more people saved. He brought more people to salvation. It wasn't them doing it. They were just living out the Christ life and the Lord is the one bringing more salvation among them. As they lived with one another, the Lord begins to do this incredible thing among them. You see commitment, you see consistency, and you see the presence of God among them. This is what the Lord has designed for us. This is why our community is essential. This is why you need to be a part of a local body of Christ. This is why if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, every single one of you needs to be vitally connected to a local body of Christ. So second question of the day, does that make you nervous? Again, don't say it out loud, but it's on your faces because some of you are going, (laughs) I don't know about that. Adam, look, I like church and all, and I'm fine to come every now and then. I'm fine to kind of tip here and there. I'm fine to kind of help out if something needs to be done. I'd be fine to, to help out. But being committed, you mean lock in. You mean like be a part, like become a member, and not just a member, but like involved, vitally involved? Uh-uh. Because you see, we are commitment phobic as a culture. There's this thing that's been bred into us over the past 10 years. It's called FOMO, the fear of missing out. This is why none of you sign up for things that we offer here at the church until like 24 hours before we do it. Because we tell you about things two weeks early. Do you sign up? No! You wait until two days before, then you sign up. Why? Because something better might come up. And I can't lock in. I might want to go to the beach. 
I might want to go somewhere else. Somebody might be inviting me out. I might have a better offer. I might have this thing. I might want to do this. So I can't tell you two weeks ahead. I mean, I can tell you later on. Maybe if that's the best offer, then maybe I'll come in. But I, don't, I can't lock in. I can't lock in at this church. Well, if there's a better church, what if I want to go try something else one day? I want to do this. I want to do that. I can't lock in to do anything like that. I cannot possibly miss out, and therefore we don't commit. And so we never get vitally involved with the people of God. You never lock in and commit to anywhere. We just bounce sporadically between our desires and other places because we, we just have a fear of like, I don't, I don't know if I can actually do that. I don't know if I want to do that. And look, if that's the way you feel, you're not alone. Everybody feels that in some way. And in fact, it's not just us. Everyone has always felt this way. This is not an American problem. It's a human problem. And when you look back in the scriptures, you'll see even people in Bible times had the same issue. You certainly had this issue at Corinth. Paul talks to the Corinthians, different church than the Ephesians. The Corinthians had this amazing worship service on Sunday. And man, during the week, they were just a terrible church, just terrible. He has to spend the entire letter kind of correcting all of this stuff. And it's because many of them just don't want to commit. So there's, there's two main objections that the Corinthians have. The first one is this, is that the church doesn't need me. Adam, listen, I don't have to be vitally involved because the church just doesn't need me. Let's look at this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. It says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. See, he uses this body metaphor in multiple places. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, well, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Well, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. I mean, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body. I'm going to say that one more time. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. He breaks us down and says, listen, all of us are vitally important. You see, many of us look at that and we say, Adam, I don't know if I believe that. I read the list in Ephesians. It says the, uh, the, uh, the apostles, the evangelists, the shepherds, the, the, the teachers, and Adam, I'm not, I'm not in that list. So if I'm not in that list, clearly the, the church doesn't need me. You might look at them and say, Adam, the church needs you, right? You're the pastor. You're going to preach every week. They need you. They need a worship pastor. Uh, they need a children's minister and a youth minister. They, they need maybe a few more people. But beyond that, that's it. Adam, they don't really need me. In fact, Adam, I was gone for a lot of the summer. And guess what? Y'all still had church. Y'all seem to be doing fine. And so you don't actually need me. And that's not actually true. Because remember, church isn't just what we do on Sunday mornings. This isn't church. We are the church. And for us to be the body of Christ, we need to be, we need every one of you in the same way that I need all of my body parts every day. When body parts start breaking or do not show up for work, that is a bad day. It is not a fun day when your body starts breaking. It's painful. It messes up your day. You got to go have surgery. It takes you out of commission. You don't get to do the things that you were going to do. You had planned to do that you wanted to do. You can't now. Why? Because your body is not working in the way that it was intended. And when you are not here and vitally involved, that's what happens. It means that things that God wants us to do, we can't do because you're not using your gifts. We can't run on four gifts. 
We can't run on six gifts. We can't run on just the gifts of the staff. We need everyone. You're actually needed here. You're actually necessary. Because it's not just about an event we do on Sundays. It's about being the people of God. This is what he wants for us. So it's not actually true when you say, hey, the church doesn't need me. Actually, we do. We need every single one of you. If God's calling you to be a part of Double Oak Community Church, he did this on purpose. There's a reason. And we need you to utilize your gift. A gift, by the way, that's not for you. Did you know that your spiritual gift is not for you? God gave you a gift that isn't for you. It's a weird kind of gift giver, isn't it? Why would he give me a gift that's not for me? Because your gift is for me. It's for everybody else in the church. Well, where's my gift? Oh, that's where all of our gifts come in. You see, all of our gifts are for you. You get your gift when you're connected to the rest of us. All of our gifts are for you and your gift is for us. That's how it works. It's how God built us. So it's not true to say the church doesn't need you. Here's the second thing, though, and probably the the one that we address with more. You just say, Adam, I just don't think I need the church. I don't think I need the church. Adam, I love God. I I read the Bible. I just don't think I need church. You might be listening to this podcast because you don't go to a church anywhere. Listen up. Here's what the Corinthians said. They said the same thing. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, that I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I got no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body. I'm going to say that again. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Which P.S., that's where we get the term membership. That's why we call it membership. It's, It's about being a body part being connected to the living organism that is called our church, our community. See, if you're an I, you just say, well, listen, I just don't think I need that. I, I don't think I need anybody else. This is a misunderstanding of who we are. It is a misunderstanding of how God has made you. You actually cannot grow like you are meant to grow, like you need to grow without all these other people. It cannot be done. It is impossible because that is how God has chosen to build us. So there actually isn't an exception where people can say, I actually don't need to be a part of a church. I don't need to be a part of a local body of church. That experience will always, by nature, be deficient. Let's think about it this way. I want you to think about the last time you had a cafeteria experience. Okay? When was the last time you went to a cafeteria? We used to have more cafeterias. I remember Morrison's. You remember that one? Or like Luby's. Remember that? There was Hartley's down there. Pawpaw Patch. Anybody? Right? Uh, Nikki's. Right? You know, I mean, there's, there's different places. You go, uh, I'm eating three. Okay, that's like a cafeteria. Cafeteria is where you go in. There's a bunch of food. You pick your food. You eat it. And you go home, right? But there's all this food. And you get there. My personal cafeteria of choice is Chipotle. All right? You go, that's not a cafeteria. It very much is. Think about what happens with Chipotle. I am there often. Probably once a week or more. If you go there, you will probably see me. You, some of you have, Right? But I walk in, there's all this food. I tell them exactly what I want. I'm a bowl or I'm a burrito. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to take it with my Coke Zero. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to eat it and I'm going to go. It's awesome. Love it, right? I, it's delicious. I think it's great. The guacamole is awesome. 
And so, but, but I go in and it's a great meal, but that's a strong, solid cafeteria meal. I want you to think about a different cafeteria meal. I want you to think about Thanksgiving. You say, I don't a cafeteria. It absolutely is. Think about what happens at Thanksgiving. You walk up to a spread of food. You pick whatever you want to eat. You eat it. It's good. And you go. At base, it is the exact same thing, but it's a completely different experience, isn't it? Why? You ate. You picked what you wanted. It was good. What's the difference? Well, because at Chipotle, I don't expect to have a conversation with anybody in that restaurant. I'm going to come in. I'm going to eat by myself, and I'm going to leave. I got a meal, and that's it. When I go to Thanksgiving, I get life. I don't just come in with the meal. I usually kind of bring something with me. So I'm going to contribute. We're all going to contribute to this common meal that we're all going to have. And then I'm not just going to grab whatever I want. I'm going to sit down with people that I know, people that I love, people who care for me. I know them and they know me. I don't simply get the meal. I get the experience of eating with all of these people. I am in a place where I am known and loved. That is completely different from an experience at Chipotle. He said, Adam, I don't know if you're going to be okay with this. I think there's days I still might prefer Chipotle over Thanksgiving because I got some weird uncles, okay? I got some weird uncles, a couple crazy aunts, uh, and, and look, I mean, and it's just messy in my family. It is. And so, I don't know. Maybe I wanted the Chipotle experience. Here's the thing. Yeah, you might have some weird uncles, but here's the, here's the difference. Uh, if you were in trouble, here's what I can guarantee. There's not a soul in that Chipotle who's going to come to your aid, but those people at Thanksgiving would. Because these people know you and they love you and they're connected to you. And if your life's falling apart, they'd come help you. Because your family, the people at Chipotle, great people, I'm sure they are, have zero expectations on you and you have zero expectations on them. All you got was a meal. But when you're in a family, you get more. You are known, you are loved, you get life. You give, you receive, and it's so much richer. Here's my question. When you come to church, do you treat it like Chipotle or do you treat it like Thanksgiving? Because for some of us, you just come in for Chipotle. You come in, get a sermon, got a worship service, you leave. It was good. I liked it. And you leave. You don't talk to anybody. You don't want to get to know anybody. You come in, you grab it when you want it. Some weeks, maybe some weeks not. You come get it, you leave. It's fine. And that's all you get. I'm hoping that was in some sense nourishing to you. But that is not the meal God made you for. God says, no, I want you to come and be a part of the family of faith. I want you to be vitally connected to the family of faith. I want you to come to give as well as receive. And I want you to come and be known. I want you to come and be loved. And I want you to learn how to love other people in the community of faith, the family of faith. We are not simply here to provide a service. We are here to be the family of God. Is that how you interact with the people here? This is why you need it. You can't say, I don't need church. You actually do need these things. You say, yeah, but Adam, I'm just a little bit worried about that. I mean, seriously, these people, I mean, look, I'll just go ahead and just tell you, we're not perfect, okay? We got some weird uncles in this church. We do, all right? We do. We got some crazy aunts. You know who you are. Don't point, okay? Look, we do, all right? Look, we got some black sheep. We got other people. We got folks in process. I mean, look, just truth be told, we ain't okay, all right? We're honest, we're real. It's a little bit messy, but we'll love you. And you can be known and you can be messy too because we're the family of faith. Isn't that better than random strangers who you have zero expectations on and you can't expect anything from? 
That's what God is calling you into. We actually need one another. So what does that look like? How do we actually live this out? What does this look like in reality? Okay, I'm right here at Double Oak. If I'm going to say, hey, I'm, I'm in. I want to be a part of what God is doing. If community is a core value, what does that look like? Let's talk about these three things. First off, let's talk about commitment. Let's talk about commitment. To say, hey, listen, I need to be committed to be devoted to the people here. I need to commit and say, I'm, I'm going to be a part of what God is doing here. Look, if God is calling you to be a part of Double Oak Community Church, if you say, this is where you need to be, then you need to jump in. And look, that doesn't simply mean like show up every now and then. It means getting involved. It means sharing who you are. Look at First Thessalonians. Uh, notice what it says here. Chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. That's a picture of community where you are known and loved. Look, you can come in and put up the walls. You can come in and not talk to anybody. You can show up every week and never let anybody in. Or you can choose to say, no, I want to get involved. I want to grow in my faith. I want to get to know people. I want them to get to know me. Well, that requires commitment. You're going to have to lock in. And look, the main way we do that is through membership. We want people to be members of our church. Right now, we've got members and attenders in the room. Many of you guys are members. Some of you guys are attenders. Some of you are first-time guests. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. But as you attend, we would hope that God would call you to say, hey, I don't want to always be an attender. I want to be a member. And look, we don't do membership just to say, here's our, our role and it's clean or here's how many numbers that we have. I actually don't even know what that number is right now. The goal of being a member is to say, no, I'm locked in. I'm making a promise to say, God has called me here and I'm going to share my gifts with you. And this church is going to share their gifts with me because together we're going to be the people of God. Which is why we ask you to make a commitment. Look, there's expectations. We expect things of you. You can expect things of us. Some people at churches don't even do membership. I don't even know what they, I don't even understand that at all. How could you have a church with no membership? With no expectations? That's like a marriage without vows. What does that even mean? You say, no, no, no. If I'm going to be a member, I am locked in. I am committed. I am connected to the people of God. Which, P.S., this is also why once you make that commitment, we talk to you, we, may, we talk about this together. But when you join, I actually bring you up in front of the church so we can make this commitment public. Please hear me. That is not because I want to torture the introverts. I honestly, it's not. Why in the world will you bring people up here so they can make a commitment publicly? Because I want people to know your name. So they can know your face. And so you can look out and see them too. And recognize that we're not just putting a name on a list. We're not signing a form. We're going to be family together. We need to get to know one another. I'm going to come by and shake a hand and hug a neck and just say, hey, I'm glad that God has brought you here. Because we're going to be family. It's messy. But this is what God is doing among us. Man, I need to be committed to where God has called me to be. Here's the second thing. We need to be consistent. We need to be consistent. This can't be the kind of thing that we do sporadically. If you want to build these relationships, it is going to take one particular thing. It is going to take time. You see, relationships don't grow quickly. Last week we said you can't put on 20 pounds of muscle in a week or a month. It can't be done. It takes time. You also can't do, you can't do that in maturity. You also can't do that in community. You can't have deep relationships in a month. It's just not going to happen unless you invest time. 
consistently every week, time and again, hanging out with people, talking to people, hearing their stories, letting them hear your stories. You just can't cram that in in too short of a time. It takes time. But if you invest in that time, you will find the richness of the community growing. You will find yourself more known and more loved. But you're going to have to be consistent in it. Look, hard truth. So sorry. Buckle up. Here it is. You can't have it all. You can't. The world tells you you can have it all. Have everything. You can do everything. You can have everything. It is a lie. You cannot. Do you know why? There's too many things. There's too much. It's all good. We want everything, but you do not have the actual time in your lifetime to have it all, which means you're going to have to choose. And when you say yes to one thing, that means saying no to something else. We can't simply run chasing after everything that we might want in the moment because you'll never get anything. If you truly want the life that God has for you, you're going to have to make a commitment and choose consistently to do this, which means, yes, I cannot say yes to everything else. We've got to stop making our decisions based primarily on desire and instead start making our decisions based on priority because they're all good. We want to do everything, but this is most important. And so therefore I choose this, I choose these relationships to prioritize. I don't eliminate the others, but I choose these relationships to prioritize. I choose to grow. I choose to be a part of what God is doing. Which, how, what does that even look like? Well, it looks like a community group. This is why we want every member to be a part of a community group. We're, we're going to say this a thousand times if we say it once. We want everybody to be a part of a community group. Why? Because that's when you're going to have life-on-life relationship with other people. You're not going to learn all the names in this church any more than you actually know all the names in your extended family. It's okay. You can admit you don't. All right? You're not going to know all the names here, but you're going to know the names of the people in your community group. You can get to know their lives, their stories, their their, their hangups, their their hurts, their their successes. You get to rejoice with them, mourn with them. Community group is where you get life-on-life relationship with people. And you can be known there. That's why we want everybody to be a part of a community group. But you got to invest. You can't come once a month. You can't come once every six weeks and expect to know all of these things. You got to jump in. But we get, guess what? We'll give you good jumping off points. We'll give you ways to kind of kickstart the, the program. We're going to be doing them all for the rest of the year. Uh, we got three mainly for the rest of the year. This uh, month in September, we're bringing something back. September 25th, we're bringing back the church picnic. We're going to have a Sunday where as we leave, we're going to go at the end of the service. We're going to go over out here to the field. We're all going to wear our football colors and we're going to eat barbecue sandwiches. It's going to be awesome, right? It's going to be old school, but you're going to be able to meet some people, hang out, get to know folks. It'll be easy in October, October 30th. We're doing trunk or treat because listen, it's a great opportunity to reach out to the community. It's also a great way to build community because nothing builds community faster than wearing silly costumes. It does more than you think, faster than you think. When you can laugh together, it builds relationship. It does. So we got that. In November, on November 13th, we're going to do our own Thanksgiving feast. And before you go and celebrate with your family, we're going to gather in this room and have a massive Thanksgiving meal where we, as a family of faith, can celebrate together. You can come by yourself. You can come with a community group. But we are going to be the people of God. These are jumping off points to help kickstart your community. Be committed. Be consistent. And then here's the third thing. We need to be spirit-filled. This is what sets us apart from every other group in the city. Look, gathering people together around a common idea, that happens all the time. That happens at a political rally. That happens at a country club. That happens on, fr- on Saturdays when you get together to watch football. 
Those are all great groups filled with great people in them. So what makes us different? Because we are Christ-connected. The most important thing about who we are to be is that we are to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and he is the one drawing us together and making us one in him. And when he does that, that's what blows everything away. British Christian writer Oz Guinness uh, wrote a book called Impossible People. And he said this is a great term for believers. And when people look at the church of Jesus Christ, they ought to look at them and just say, those are impossible people. Why are they hanging out together? Do you see them? They are different generations. They're not even yelling at each other. Why are they hanging out together? Do you you see them? They're different races. They're different ages. They're different personalities. They're different genders. How come all of these people from such disparate, diverse backgrounds, how can they love one another like they do? How can they be connected like they are? And we get the glory of saying, because Jesus Christ forgave us of our sins, saved us by his death and resurrection. He put his spirit inside of us, all of us, and he's doing something supernatural. And you can join too because you're loved and you can be forgiven and you can have eternal life in Jesus like we do. It is what makes us who we are. And so how do we get there? You pray for one another. After that, we pray for one another. In addition to that, we pray for one another. And then in closing, you pray for one another. And when we live in the spirit of Christ, he begins to do the supernatural and everyone sees it in us as we become this impossible community of faith. It's what he made you for and it's available to you if we will simply join in. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. We're going to close in worship in just a moment. We're all going to sing a hymn together. But before we do that, I just want you to kind of think through that first question. Is community essential for me? Essential. As in we need it. This church needs you. And you need this church. Not the building. Not the organization. Not the budget. The people the living organism of faith that God himself is knitting together on purpose, specifically. And that includes you. And if he's calling you to be a part of this particular congregation, what are you going to do? What needs to change so I can say, I want to be a part of that meal, that people, that life. We can choose it today. And so Father, help us. I'm so thankful for the people that you've brought here to this church. This particular gathering of your people, this particular local body that you have designed. And Lord, we don't know what's coming or why you brought the people who are here right now at this particular time. You just did. And so can you do the impossible in us? Can you draw us? Can you unify us, knit us together that we might grow in you, not as individuals, but together together. Lord, help us to pour into one another as my brothers and sisters pour into me. We all pour into each other as as a group. And Lord, we will give you the glory for it all. But we are thankful that you have made us one in your son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray.